0: As we gather together, you ever think about the purpose of the church and how long we have gathered together? And I don't just mean here, this past week, this past many months, these, even all the years of Northside. I mean beyond that, to the centuries that the church has gathered together to celebrate, to rejoice, to remember what God has done. On Sunday mornings, we are in a series called Let Us. And it's really this idea that there are several scriptures within the Word of God that don't speak to an I or a me, but to an us. Very specific. And God's very clear that there... He didn't intend to... uh, the church to be a bunch of lone rangers, but He intended it to be a team working together. The, The visual that... We use for this series is the flock of geese. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago and how they, the meaning of it, and how they, they get f- fly so much farther, like 70% farther when they're flying in the V formation, the way that the aerodynamics work, and how there's a, a, a lead goose. And uh, then when he gets tired, he moves to the back, and the other geese will move forward and take a place of leadership, how they work together. When one of them gets injured or struggles uh, and has to leave the V formation, a couple of other geese will fly down with it. How they honk to encourage one another. This simple visual of nature reminds us of some powerful lessons. Now, you'll notice if you've ever watched a V formation of geese, a flock of geese flying through the air, that typically one side of the V is longer than the other. This is interesting. There's a scientific reason for that, and that is this, there are more geese on that side. This is a spiritual application, I don't really know, but uh, in any case, as we think about going from geese to God's Word, today let's focus on this let us phrase. It comes from Hebrews chapter 10, and if you're opening your Bibles, I hope that you will do that, I would encourage you to do that even if you uh, are watching the slide, it's good discipline for you to thumb through the pages of Scripture or scroll if you're using an iPad or an iPhone. The writer of Hebrews says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. The church gathers, we have gathered based around the confession of, of our hope, of what we believe in. Do you remember the, the, the point in time when you began your journey with Jesus and you probably had a moment where you were asked to profess who you believed Jesus was? Maybe you were asked the simple question, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? That's the question that I was asked on a Sunday night, February twenty fourth, 1991. And and with all the veracity of a 12-and-a-half-year-old I answered firmly, yes, because I believed it with all my heart. And I knew that Jesus was my only hope. And, and at 12 and a half, I didn't fully understand it. I didn't fully comprehend it. I, to me, quite honestly, grace seemed too good to be true. You mean that, that I could be forgiven of all of the things that I've done wrong and all of the things that I will do that are wrong? How can that happen? Because of Jesus the Christ. Do you believe that he died for your sins? Yes, I do. And are you willing to make him Lord of your life? Yes, I am. Where was that for you? Do you remember that day? Maybe it was in a kind of a dirty pond or a lake up in the mountains of Colorado or perhaps out in Kingman, Kansas. Maybe it was in this baptistry right here. Uh, Perhaps it was down here on the front row. You have to follow me, guys. I'm moving now. I'm moving. Move the camera. (laughs) Maybe it was right here on this front row, right? And and you came down with all of the trepidation, trepidation, and maybe your mom or your dad or your grandparents or your prayer pal were there, and, and they were singing this song, and you were, you were talking with an elder, but you didn't know what he was saying. And, and, and then there came the time, and they took the mic, and they asked you the question. And it was Brian Middleton. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And, of course, you have no other option but to answer yes. What was that for you? Can you take just a moment and close your eyes? Some of you are already there. I appreciate that. Close your eyes just for a moment and go back to that moment of your confession. of your profession, that Jesus is the Christ. You see, that moment matters more than you know. But, but you need to know the confession of your hope. You can open your eyes now. That was just a, that was just a seventh inning blink. The, the confession of your hope is not just a once, one, one and done moment. It was not just one shot. Jesus intended that to be an ongoing conversation. We're going to look at a couple of examples of the good confession. And probably the most famous one, when you you think about the confession, is Matthew chapter 16. So, turn to Matthew chapter 16, let's look at the first one. Matthew chapter 16 is the story of Peter confessing that Jesus is the Christ. And in Matthew chapter 16, starting about in verse, I think it's verse 13, is on the slide. Scripture says this, now, when Jesus came into the district of the Caesarea, of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? You see, that question, that moment when, when, when Jesus says, who do you say that I am, is very important. Because at that point, Jesus was becoming more and more popular, and so as he's attracting crowds and doing miracles and seeing all of these things happen, there's no doubt the, the buzz, right? The scuttlebutt. Like, who is this guy? Where is he? I heard he was from Nazareth. Nazareth. Isn't he? Is he, isn't he just a carpenter's son? How can he do these? I mean, there is probably this... this Buzz surrounding Jesus. No doubt there was. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, who do they say that I am? Who do they say that I am? I said, well, maybe Elijah, maybe, maybe one of the prophets. We, I mean, there, there's all of these different rumors. And then he gets real personal. And I can just see it in his eyes as he, as he looks directly each of them in the eyes and asks, but who do you say that I am? What does the world say about Jesus? Well, if you hear Jesus brought up in a non-religious setting, you might hear things like: Jesus was a wonderful moral teacher. Jesus was a good man. You know, and basically, they kind of give him all of the false praise to kind of keep from saying the one thing that they know that Jesus said about himself, and that is that he was son of god and then they kind of bring him down here with you know instead of elevating they kind of level him out with all other religious leaders and they bring him on the same level and they say jesus was just as good as any of those other guys and you pick which one you want to follow that's fine but but let me step back with you and reason through that for just a minute because that's really false jesus was not Jesus was not just a good man, and he was not limited to being a moral teacher. Here's the reason why. Because Jesus claimed many times to be the Son of God. John chapter 14, verse 6, he couldn't have said it any more clearly. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, he drew the line, okay? Well, I lo- uh, these days we have a nice little line here on the stage. So, if Jesus drew this line, and he was absolutely unambiguous about the fact who he claimed to be. Now, it was either, uh, specifically John fourteen six. that was either true or false. Okay, it's pretty binary. If what Jesus said was not true, then he was far from a good man and certainly not a good teacher. He was a liar, a fraud, a fake, a phony, a charlatan, if he wasn't who he claimed to be. okay. If what he said was a lie, then nothing that he says matters. And there is no point in meeting here every week or today. We can just turn off the lights, shut the doors, go home. Forever. But... If what he said was true, then everything that he says matters. And this is what he asked his disciples. This or this, which side of the line do you stand on? Who do you say that I am? You you place me in a basket with all of these other religious leaders do you, you, you place me right alongside every other man who's created a religion that people have followed for a while, and then after he died they scattered, and some people held on to it and some people didn't? Or do you believe with all your heart that I am who I say I am? And I love Peter's response. If we can go back to this slide, Matthew chapter 13. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied this beautiful, you are the Christ. You are the Christ the son of the living God. Now, Peter was known for opening his mouth and often getting himself in trouble, but this time he opened his mouth and he got it right. There's another less well-known uh, profession. Now, now, you need to understand Matthew chapter 16. Jesus would go on to say that I will build my church on this rock. And some people say, oh, they're building a church on Peter. Peter was the foundation of the church. No, 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 no. That's not at all what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, what you just said, Peter, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. (laughs) That's the foundation of my church. It will be the the hope. Every person, every tribe, every language, every, every time of people that will gather together around me will be gathered around that common belief, that common profession that Jesus is Lord. In fact, can we just... Can we just practice that this morning? Go ahead. Stand up for just a minute. If you believe it, I'm not asking you to do something you don't believe. But if you believe it, I want you to repeat with me those three simple words. Jesus is Lord. Let's do it all together just if you believe it. Jesus is Lord. Now, I love it. It's such a powerful thing, but... Can you understand something? That's sort of expected here. That's sort of easy here. And there's nothing wrong with doing it here, but that's not where it makes the most impact. You can have a seat. Let's go to John chapter 6, one of my, personally, one of my, my favorite profession of Peter. John chapter 6, verse 66, is the saddest verse in the Bible. In my opinion, saddest verse in the Bible, John chapter 6, verse 66, and that's where we're going to start. The context here is that Jesus had done a miracle, right? He had fed 5,000, and they were just enamored that he could do this. And they began to see in Jesus, not just a good man, not just a moral teacher, but someone who could actually overthrow Rome. They thought he was the, the long-awaited king, and he was, but just not the kind that they imagined. And so they began to r- get rally around this guy who thought they thought was going to throw off the yoke of Rome. right? Because if you do these kind of miracles, there's no stopping you. Now, Jesus begins to amass a crowd, and so then he begins to teach about the necessity of consuming his body and his blood. Talking about the, the, the Lord's Supper. Of course, they didn't understand that. They, they took it to mean that he was teaching cannibalism. And so this is where we jump into the scripture, John chapter 6, verse 66. After this, his disciples turned back and no longer followed him, no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the 12, and this is another powerful question, do you want to go away as well? Imagine, picture this moment, right? A crowd of thousands upon thousands of people, and they are all doing this. Ah. They're all walking away from Jesus. Now, in that moment, when you've got thousands of people walking away from you, there's a lot of pressure on these guys. And Jesus says, Do you want to go? You too? And Peter again gets it right. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the holy one of God. Jesus, uh, Peter didn't just know that Peter, that Peter didn't just know that Jesus was the only one of God, the Holy One of God. He knew that Jesus was his only hope from God. Do you realize that? Or is Jesus kind of just something you bring alongside into every other part of your life? Or is Jesus your only hope? If you believe that and you've professed that, you may say, well, hey, I, I'm good. Okay? Well, the challenge here is that starting is easy. Starting anything is easy. Okay? Starting a, a new project at work, that's fun and exciting. You get to do something new. Uh, starting a, maybe a, a, looking at Debbie Groves, you know, a, a, some sort of new landscaping project at home is exciting, right? Maybe for, more for you than Brent, but, you know, it's, it's exciting because there's something new and you're excited about the newness of the moment. Maybe you're running a race, you know, and you've prepared and you've trained and you get up early and you put on your, your bib and, you, and you're at the starting line with all the other runners and It's exciting. And the pistol fires and you're off. But the challenge with any of those things is not the start, but the middle. The point between starting and finishing is always the hardest part. Right? You think about, uh, I'll, pick the, I'll pick the one of, of the race, okay? You think about a race and you're here and you're starting and you're, you're, you're poised and you're ready to go. You can tell I don't run very much because this is my runner's pose. But anyway, you're at the starting line, and the pistol fires, and you're off, right? And you're, you're, you're running with enthusiasm and speed, and you get to, say, so say a 5K where you're you know, one and a half miles in, or a marathon when you're at 13 miles in, and you're at this point where you're far enough away from the beginning that it's no longer exciting. And you're far away from, enough away from the finish that you're not sure You're going to make it. Runners call this the wall, right? And it's not a physical limitation. It's a mental thing, right? It's your body screaming, stop, 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 this hurts. And your brain saying, nope, we're going. Nope, we're going. Keep going. Press on. Hold fast. Finish strong, right? The hardest part of any journey is not... I did, a, I did a, a wedding. I do lots of weddings. Okay, the beginning is wedding day. You're you're gather your friends and your family. You're all dressed up. You're excited. You're you, the moment's here. You you're standing up with the preacher, and boom, husband and wife, and you're running, and, he's, and there's a the honeymoon, and and it's and it's wonderful, and and then and then there's some point between the start and the finish, whenever that might be, be 50, 60, 70 years down the road, where you're in the middle. And you're far enough from the beginning where it's not exciting anymore. And you're far enough from the end where you don't know if you're going to finish. The most challenging part of any journey is the middle. This is why the writer of Hebrews says to followers of Christ, Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The truth is, people don't fall from grace most of the time. What I mean by that is the idea of falling from grace. Some people actually believe you cannot fall from grace, and I don't believe that. But I have always not liked the phrase fall from grace, because fall from grace is kind of like this. I mean, it's falling, right? Every, most Sunday mornings, I get up, and I jump the stairs, and there are some of you just waiting, just hoping, just come on, just this one time, let them miss it, because you know what's going to happen. It's this complete falling, Right? And sometimes we imagine falling from grace like that. We just, it's just this, ah, pew, and sometimes that happens, but rarely. Often, people, instead of falling from grace, they drift from it. There's a song many years ago. It was a Christian song, and it was about making sure your cell phone's turned off. And then it, the, the song was about this idea of a slow fade, Right? Like, it doesn't just happen immediately and dramatically and powerfully. It's like, one Sunday, I stopped seeing that teenager come to youth group stuff. And then another Sunday. And then they didn't show up to the Devo. And then it was not going to camp. And it was just, just like what's happening on your screen, just this slow fade. Now, don't, don't, don't catch up to me. <laughs> it's this slow fade, right? It's gone. People don't often fall from grace. They often drift from it. And so in the middle of our journey with Christ, we got to pay closer attention. We got to lean in. We got to be engaged in the process. And that's probably the the most dangerous part for us in Christ is that we're so, so far from that moment. Remember when you went into the water? Remember how excited you were? And you came off. Maybe if you were here, and you came down that ramp, and then you were soaked to the bone, and, and you had your towel around you, and people were hugging you, and your family, and friends, and people you didn't even know, and everybody was congratulating you, people were praying with you, and it was exciting. And you went home, and you were exhilarated, and you're thinking, "Man, what's next?" And you're just excited. Maybe you're reading the Word, and you're praying, you're you're totally engaged in it. And then after a while, you're in the middle, and it's not as fun as it used to be. You're not as engaged as you used to be. And the finish line seems so far away. So we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful when we're in the middle that we lean into it even more, that we focus even more. We don't drift away from what we've taught. Think of a marathon runner. The Hebrew writer uses this picture in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. The middle is where you're most likely to quit. The middle is where you're most likely to slowly fade away into the background. Especially these days. I mean, quite honestly, it is easy to be disengaged, but it's even easier these days. You've got to work to be engaged, right? Right? because we're not seeing each other as often and when we do see each other it's all it's all distance and it's weird and it's you know and and when you're watching online it's like it's easy to get distracted maybe right now you're thinking man I I'm just not engaged it's so easy to get distracted and discouraged and scripture pleads with us pleads with us to push through that's the only way through the middle that's the only way through the middle is to push through you don't want to turn back, and, and you can only push so far forward. forward. You've just got to push through. What does, the, what does the writer say specifically? This is what I like. If we pull the slide up, he says, let us run. He doesn't say let us run with speed. He doesn't say let us run with passion. He says let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Isn't that cool? That this is not a race where we have to find our way and we have to figure it out on our own. The race is pretty much marked out for us, right? It's just long and it's narrow and sometimes, indeed many times, it's hard. Consider him who endured opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The only way out is through. So the charge to us is to hold on. To hold fast, to keep going, to persevere, to strain toward what is ahead, one, one, one scripture says. Hold on to what you started, finish what you started, and push through to the end. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, if you're following along, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. See, that's the, the, the path marked out clearly for us. <laughs> he says, let us hold fast our confession. As you don't understand, preacher. That's so easy for you to say. You don't know my life, and you don't know what I've been through, and my job's on the line, and the stock market, and, the, and, and we're going to get this virus, we're all going to die, and it's going to be terrible. You don't know, why. It's easy for you to stand up there and say that. Okay, let's just go to the next verse. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. I'm not your high priest. I'm not your priest. Jesus is your high priest. And the writer of Hebrews says of him, he is not unable to sympathize. He was tempted. He is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace, find grace in time of need. All right, well, how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. Because the answer is I'm not going to give you an answer here. If you really care to learn about how we can hold fast, how we can stay strong, how we can go bravely onward, I hope you'll join us tonight for Sunday Night Live. And we're going to give you four specific action steps To help you if you're struggling in the middle. If you're struggling in the middle, I hope you'll join us tonight for Sunday Night Live. And be encouraged at what scripture says you and I can do. There are specific things we can do that will help us not just be stuck in the middle. But go boldly toward the finish. And I want to finish strong. And I hope you want to finish strong as well. But the good news is, it's not 100% dependent upon you. Right? Go back to the scripture that we started at the beginning. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. he says, hold fast. He says, well, how do we can do that? For he who promised is faithful. What are we afraid of? God's shown himself faithful again and again and again throughout the pages of this book. From the Garden of Eden, the very first sin, when when Adam was blaming Eve and Eve was blaming the serpent, and God's sitting there saying, I knew this was going to happen, but I've got a plan. And he sews together, and he doesn't let them take their fig leaves, but he sews together skin. A sacrifice was made. And he sews together animal skins for Adam and Eve. He was right there faithfully loving his children, even though they had violated his will. What about the Exodus? When they left the Egypt, uh, the the world power of the time, and they were enslaved, they were in bondage, and, and it was a scary time, they were being oppressed, and God delivered them from the yoke of slavery and from a stubborn Pharaoh. And they got out and they, they faced basically the giant sea in front of them and the giants behind them riding in chariots. And they cried out, was there no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? And God faithfully parted the waters. And he's done that time and again. He He brought water from a rock. He brought manna from heaven. He brought... He. He froze the sun to, to allow the battle to continue. He fed thousands with just a few loaves. He's healed the sick. He's made the blind to see. He's called the deaf to hear. He's called the mute to speak. He's raised the dead. His resume is flawless. So trust Him. If it was all up to you and me, then I'd be worried. But if we begin to hold on and, and lean into the faith that we profess, why? For he who promised is faithful. The same God who raised the dead then is the same God who raises the dead today. And is the same God who's breathing life into you and I. So may we hold on to that hope and that promise. Let us hold fast to the faith we profess, to the hope we profess for he Who promised is faithful. This morning, as we often do, we offer uh, the opportunity to respond. Maybe this morning, as we stood and proclaimed that Jesus is Lord, and you thought, well, I've never really done that. I'm not really sure I believe that. Or, Or maybe you've been taught that all you have to do is pray a sinner's prayer and invite Jesus into your heart. Unfortunately, I can't forward to any verse in the Bible that commands you to do that. But if you believe that Jesus is Lord, and you're willing to make that profession with your mouth and to be buried with him in the waters of baptism, and to begin that race, that exciting, wonderful, monumental race of faith, we bid you come and do so this morning. If, you, if you'd like to do that, we're going to sing a song in just a minute. You, As we stand, you can go to the back. One of our shepherds will be right here in the middle waiting for you. If you'd like to respond, if you need to respond to the gospel, no better time than this morning. But Maybe you need... Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you've got some spiritual things you're struggling. Maybe you're stuck right here in the middle. And you're really struggling. And you'd like our shepherds to pray with you and for you. Well, they'll be glad to do that. If there is a, a need this morning, don't sit. Stand and move and do something about it. Let's, let's together stand and... Sing.